Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning and happy Friday here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. And it is also St. Patrick's Day. And so I hope that everyone is wearing green and enjoying the festivities that are good. You know, obviously there are some other things that are not so great that people celebrate about St. Patrick's Day. And certainly we want to make sure to always be uh, in line with scripture and promoting the truth of the gospel of Christ. But, um, you know, St. Patrick's Day also has a very rich history. And um, our good friend, Father Frank Pavone is going to uh, join us at the end of the program today to talk more about that and I hope um, to discuss more about how we can engage um, some of these holidays from a genuinely hopeful perspective and actually use uh, these holidays as a way to promote the gospel of Christ and um, as segues for uh, various um, engagements that we have and and people that we encounter in our daily lives um, to turn the conversation toward promoting the truth of the gospel of Christ. And so uh, really looking forward to that interview. So have a lot for you today on the show and um, including coming up right after the break, um, I will be joined by my good friend Tulsi Gabbard. Of course, um, you all know her as, as kind of a controversial figure. And I think her uh, background and, and history is really incredible. And so we're going to talk not so much about politics, but about her background. So I interviewed her uh, for my podcast, and I want to play that interview for you completely. Of course, you can go and uh, subscribe for free to the JennaEllisShow.com or on Rumble on any of the places that you stream. And I get access to all the great interviews because we do more of a long form uh, on that show. So um, again, you can go to the JennaEllisShow.com. And uh, we are on YouTube. Um, but occasionally, you know, they'll censor, they kick me off. And we've had various uh, flags for, you know, just talking about um, very controversial topics like, you know, election integrity and things that the leftists really don't want us to be talking about. But we talk about it anyway. And this is why uh, Rumble is such a great platform that is designed to promote free speech. And this is also why um, AFR is so incredibly important as well, because, um, you know, AFA is very committed to always uh, promoting the truth of the gospel of Christ and addressing uh, any concerns from a biblical perspective, anything that is going on in news and politics. And um, that's why I really enjoy this show. And I've really enjoyed um, being with you each and every morning. So we are going to have that full interview with Tulsi Gabbard. And, um, you know, and again, and I, I was referencing that she's been a little bit of a controversial figure because, um, you know, of course, growing up in uh, Hawaii, her uh, her family was very engaged in politics, um, her father, of course. And um, she talked to me about uh, why she chose initially to run for the state house in Hawaii um, under a Democrat ticket. And uh, she was a Democrat all the way through in uh, 2016. Of course, she ran for president and has a presidential campaign. And 
it was amazing to me to watch her on that debate stage because she truly doesn't conform to what the current Democrat Party stands for. And she called out uh, then presidential candidate Kamala Harris, who the Democrats were trying to uh, promote as you know their nominee. And she completely and utterly destroyed Kamala Harris on the debate stage. It was amazing and, and, and incredible to watch. And after that, of course, um, the Democrat Party didn't really favor her. And shortly after uh, that campaign, she actually left the Democrat Party very openly and became an independent. And um, and I think that, you know, her perspectives on why she initially was a Democrat and then why she is now an independent and she is simply uh, striving to speak the truth and um, and to really come down to uh, America's founding and American values is very, very important. And um, so she's been at a lot of different conservative events um, and some, some various events that I've attended as well. And we have a lot of mutual friends. So I've gotten to know her personally over the last um, about year, year and a half. And um, through that, I really greatly admire her as a very strong woman who um, will promote even um, the foundational American values and viewpoints in politics that are antithetical now to her former party. And she does that unabashedly and unashamedly. And so I want you to listen to this interview that's coming up right after the break uh, with Tulsi Gabbard. And I think you're going to discover some things about her that uh, we have in common as an AFR family that you probably didn't know about Tulsi Gabbard. So I'm not going to give it away. You're going to have to stick around after the break and listen to this interview, but do so with an open mind because I know she's very controversial. I have so much respect for Tulsi and I can't wait for you to hear from her about her whole life experience and perspectives. So Tulsi Gabbard interview coming up right after this right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, Tulsi Gabbard joins me now. And Tulsi, thanks so much. I have been so looking forward to this conversation because I've gotten to know you over the last uh, year plus, and I have so respected and admired your position as someone who genuinely just speaks for yourself, and you are not in the mold of just one party over the other. So I want to start first with how you got there and your background, because um, until a conversation that we had a few weeks ago, I didn't realize that you were actually homeschooled. Yeah. Uh, great to talk to you, Jenna. I know we've been looking forward to doing this. And my gosh, time flies. I can't believe it's already been uh, over a year since we first met. Um, but it's so good to see you again, at least uh, o- over the computer. Um, let's see where to start. I'm the fourth of, of five kids. Uh, my parents are teachers by trade and training entrepreneurs at heart. And uh, they decided to homeschool us. You know, they had both been teaching in different schools at different times. But I think around, you know, first or second grade for me uh, was when they decided to homeschool us. And, uh, and I loved it. You know, my, my sister and I are closest in age. And so for us both uh, to be homeschooled um, 
it gave us a kind of freedom that I think looking back, I probably took for granted because I didn't know anything any different. Uh, but, you know, it was a unique experience at that time because as I was telling you when I last saw you, you know, we were of the generation of homeschoolers where we weren't allowed to go outside until school was out because, you know, a cop might pull us over for truancy or something like that. And uh, it, it was just, it was a very, um, it was a very different time when homeschooling was a foreign concept. It's so great to see now how many uh, families and, and kids are choosing uh, homeschooling for, for a whole variety of reasons and really all the different opportunities and um, uh, yeah, opportunities that are available to them, everything from sports to all kinds of extracurricular activities and just support systems as a whole. Yeah, and I feel the same way about my own homeschool experience that I think I took that for granted growing up because that was all that I had known. And now looking back, I can see how my parents truly invested in me with their mentorship, yes. their friendship, and the ability to think for myself, not just go to one of these indoctrination camps and kind of learn how I'm supposed to think instead of thinking for myself. And you had mentioned when we were talking about this earlier that your parents actually gave you the option in, I think it was high school, to go back and you ultimately decided for yourself to stay in homeschooling. And that was a pivotal moment for you. Yeah, you know, for, for all five of us kids, uh, they, you know, they decided to homeschool us all. And one of my older brothers decided that he wanted to go to high school. He went and, you know, my parents uh, never tried to stop him or any one of us from making our own decisions. But they said, hey, here's what you will, ex what you can expect. And uh, he went and he went to high school and he didn't last that long because he absolutely hated it. <laughs> and he ended up he ended up dropping out of high school and getting his GED. But, uh, you know, I think it, it's one of the many things I'm really grateful to my parents for. And, and they're my dearest friends um, then and now is is encouraging that independence of thought and critical thinking and, you know, um, understanding, hey, look, there are consequences, consequences to every decision that you make. It's up to you to weigh the pros and the cons and what the short and long-term effects or impacts of that decision will be. And, and so, you know, one of the things that as I was, I don't know, I think I was probably a freshman still. Um, but one of the things that I felt I was missing out on was competitive sports. I'm a pretty athletic person. I grew up doing martial arts. Our family played tennis all the time. I was outside a lot of the time and I wanted to go and, and play high school sports. And so I, I told him, you know, hey, I think I might want to go to high school. And so we had a conversation about it. And they said, look, this is up to you and this is your decision. And um, ultimately, ultimately, I decided not to. And I'm so glad that I did because it was not the right choice for me. And, you know, I think we were talking about this the last time I saw you. Seeing what kids are subjected to today in schools, uh, not only, you know, the, the stuff that's always been there, right? The peer pressure and the bullying and all of this and that. But the things kids are being subjected to by their teachers and those who are pushing their own agenda, whatever it may be, uh, places a lot of stress and confusion uh, and pressure on kids who really should be going to school to, to learn, to, to build a strong foundation of the basic educational skills, the old school reading, writing, arithmetic, science kind of thing, that, that unfortunately that stuff seems to be falling away. And these other issues, social issues, sexual issues, and all this other stuff seems to be taking a, a precedent. So, you know, my parents decided to homeschool us as kids because even way back then, they, they saw the writing on the wall and 
they were not willing as parents to say, okay, I'm just going to give my kids to some stranger to raise, essentially. They, they understood their responsibility, uh, their choice in having five kids, and, uh, and, and took ownership of that. And I'm so grateful uh, that they provided us with that opportunity and, and all of the freedom and, um, uh, yeah, freedom that went along with that for us. And I think a lot of parents listening can resonate with that because so many parents are choosing homeschooling and that whole uh, school choice option has really accelerated over the last you know 20 years, but especially the last just few years uh, in the midst of COVID when uh, children had to stay at home and then parents spent more time with their kids and they figured out, hey, we actually like this. We want to spend more time with our kids and we want to invest in them and shield them from other uh, very negative influences while they're so impressionable. And of course, yes. you know, as adults, we can confront different ideologies and debate things that uh, children need to have guidance and a discipleship and navigation while they're younger to then learn how to analyze things, think for themselves, but ultimately start with a foundation of truth and to yes. learn uh, these things, not only from their parents specifically, but for um, parents who, as, as God recognizes and our government even recognizes, um, children are given to parents first and foremost for them to train up in the way that they should go. So I'm grateful to my parents for the exact same thing. And I know that my life and the course of my life would have been very, very different if my parents hadn't invested in me like that. And so as you then went uh, from high school into college and then ultimately the military, um, how did that shape your perspective on policy? And then uh, ultimately you got into uh, politics, ran for Congress, and then jumped into the presidential race. There's a lot there. I, I hope we have enough time to get into this because I made a lot of unconventional choices as a young person. I, I guess you could say I still am today. Um, and we love that about I, you. I thank you. You know, I had, uh, you know, I applied to all these different colleges. Uh, you know, I kind of broke through the misperceptions that that teachers and counselors at our, our local public school had when I went and I actually went and sat with the college counselor at our local high school, took the SATs. And, and I think she was expecting uh, abysmal score. And, and, you know, at least my, my reading and, and uh, writing score was, I think I only got one wrong in the test or whatever. And the counselor, her mind was blown. She's like, how is this possible? What are you doing? Tell me what you're doing because I want to have my kids do it. I'm just like, I read a lot and I love to write. I read at every opportunity my, uh, that, that, I, that I had. And, and, uh, but at that point, and I applied to colleges. Uh, I got into the schools that I wanted to go to, but uh, the financial aid package fell through. And I personally refused, uh, again, this was back when going to Chapman University cost something like $25,000 a year. I think it's now 90 or something like that. But I was not willing to go into debt to get a degree. Uh, and I, I made a decision at that point, if I'm going to go to school, it's going to be to learn a very specific purpose or get a degree for a specific purpose the the societal pressures on getting that diploma, getting that piece of paper, even at 18, 19 years old, I found to be absolutely absurd. And I kind of protested it. My parents, my parents told all of us, hey, if you want to go to school, that's up to you. Awesome. If you don't, awesome. You guys figure it out. If you're going to go to school, you're going to have to figure out how to pay for it because we're not going to pay for it for you. 
if you have to pay for it, you've got to work for it, then you will value the education and skills that you learn by going through it. And so I kind of protested getting a bachelor's degree for a long time because I was like, look, uh, if I don't need it for a specific purpose or a specific job, why am I going to go and get this piece of paper just to prove what to society? And that's what it has unfortunately become. We see all these people in debt, tens, 20, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, depending on what it is and for what. So you can walk around and say, oh yeah, I have a degree. So what, what does that actually mean in your life? So my, my path towards higher education was somewhat unconventional. I started out at a local community college place that I could afford and started learning about TV and film production, communications. That was a field that I was interested in going into at that time, uh, but then took a break from that when I had an opportunity, uh, an opening to run for office. I, I was very passionate and I'm very passionate about conservation and protecting our environment. And uh, I was 21 years old. I ran for and was elected to a state house seat in Hawaii's legislature. Uh, and didn't actually uh, earn my bachelor's degree until uh, several several years later. I was working full-time and ended up having to get a degree because there were certain things I wanted to do that required that piece of paper. So it's like, damn it, I got to go do it. <laughs> and so, so I, uh, I, I, um, you know, I was deployed to Iraq in uh, 2004 and five. Uh, we had a small little education tent there. And whenever we had internet access, I was in there and taking classes or doing online tests to go towards that bachelor's degree. Did the same when I was working in Washington, D.C. for uh, one of Hawaii's senators, Senator Akaka. He was the chair of the Veterans Affairs Committee. And I worked as his legislative aide for a couple of years between my two deployments. And it wasn't until my second deployment uh, to the Middle East as a platoon leader that I finished my degree and uh, uh, got an email saying, congratulations, you are now a college graduate. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, and one of the things that I just, I love about your story is when you describe this as making unconventional decisions and that you kind of uh, pursued your own path, because I think a lot of uh, women who want to make our mark on the world, we want to do great things, um, do seem like the conventional system is holding us back. And, and, and I asked some of those same questions um, in my own career and, and ministry path of saying, why do I need to do this the same way as everybody else? And asking exactly. those questions, I think, is such a great thing. And it's so important to then always, you know, go out and say, here's an opportunity and I want to pursue it. And, you know, at 21 saying I want to go and be a part of the state legislature. I mean, that wouldn't probably generally occur to almost any college student that's grown up in the regular public school system, because they're often told, here's the pathway that you have to follow instead of exactly. enterprising your own way in the world. And, and I think your story is so important um, that you are so much more than just a label that a lot of people, because they know you from politics and especially from the presidential race uh, in, in the last uh, cycle, People want to try to put you and other women, especially in a box and under a label and yeah. just say, oh, because you ran as a Democrat, therefore you must think these other things. Or because you um, are a woman, for example, you must think these other things. And I felt that way so often with the label of Republican or the label of even homeschooling or just the label of being a woman, that that's yeah. somehow society expects us to fit this certain mold. But you have been so unconventional. So describe how you left the Democrat Party 
and why you made that very unconventional decision as well. Yeah, Jenna, you know, as I think we've established, I've always been a very independent minded person and really thought through each of the decisions that I've made in my life, whether they be personal decisions or professional ones, um, based on based on the substance of, of that decision. And ultimately, uh, my goal, my mission in life is how can I best be of service to God and to others? And will this decision allow me to continue to try to fulfill that mission and fulfill that, that greater purpose uh, for my life? And so, you know, while my I have taken quite an unconventional path and it's taken me in a lot of different directions that I could not have planned, frankly, or expected. But but each decision has been made um, with that prayer and introspection uh, in mind, and and ultimately that was where I, I assessed. Uh, look, I've been a member of the Democratic Party for twenty years. Uh, back in two thousand two, when I first made that decision to run for state house in Hawaii. You know, my, my parents, they, we, we weren't brought up in a partisan household. Uh, my parents talked about, you know, of course, we talked about news and what was going on in the country or in the state around the dinner table, but we talked about issues and we talked about what was going on. It was never this team good, that team bad, or anything like that. And, and I'm, again, so grateful for it because it allowed uh, for that freedom of thought and that focus on actual substance to occur really from a really young age. And so when I pulled those election papers to, to start my campaign for the state legislature in 2002, I realized then, oh my gosh, I have to choose. <laughs> I have to choose which party label am I going to run under? And it wasn't, it wasn't just an automatic snap decision. I really thought through it and, and you know, uh, learned more about the history of Hawaii and how Hawaii that was once a very strong, uh, it was a state that was controlled by the Republican Party from its creation going from a sovereign kingdom to a territory um, and then eventually to statehood. But at one point, that power transitioned from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. And I looked into why, why and how did that happen? Well, in Hawaii's case, uh, we are the 50th state, the youngest state of, of our nation. Uh, but that transition came about because the Republican Party in Hawaii was made up of very few, very wealthy landowners that essentially controlled the state because of the land that they owned. Uh, the vast majority of working people in the state were working on those plantations that they owned, pineapples, sugar cane, et cetera, et cetera. And unfortunately, these workers were treated like crap. There's no other way to say it. It was inhumane, the conditions that they were living and working under. And long story short, it wasn't until they came together and organized and said, hey, this is, this is unacceptable. This was essentially glorified slavery, that that shift came from the Republicans to the Democrats. And I saw the Democratic Party in Hawaii as the party of the people, the party for the little guy. Um, and then I looked at people like Reverend Martin Luther King, people like President JFK, his brother Bobby Kennedy and others who were voices for peace. Uh, who were voices for civil liberties and freedom and individual thought and choice. And of course, Reverend King saying, hey, don't judge each other by the color of our skin. Look at each other's character and come together as a country, regardless of your background, your race or gender, or religion or anything else. Those are the things that really drew me to the Democratic Party back in 2002. Fast forward to where we are today. And unfortunately, where the Democratic Party has progressively been going and that's the irony of using the word progressive is 
Um, it has been regressive. They have gone backwards. They've betrayed that dream that Reverend King outlined in his most famous speech in intentionally judging us by the color of our skin, dividing us by the color of our skin, using identity politics to advance their own political agenda. Uh, the Democratic Party has become the warmongering party. You look at how many Democrats have had the courage to stand up and, and let's say not even oppose, but even challenge the president on the proxy war he's waging against Russia right now uh, through Ukraine and the over $100 billion of our money that he's already sent there. Not a single Democrat has stood up to oppose or even challenge that position. You look at the Republican Party. Uh, I, I have disagree. There are warmongers in the Republican Party as well, but I think it's encouraging to see that in that party, there is room for dissent. There's a growing number, a small but growing number of elected Republicans in Congress who also have the courage to say, look, this is not in the best interest of our country. By continuing to wage and escalate this proxy war against Russia, you're putting our country and our people at risk by getting us closer to the potential World War III, getting us closer to the potential of, of nuclear war that would destroy us all. I think one of the most fundamental problems with the Democratic Party today uh, that really drove home my choice to leave was their opposition to freedom. How can you have a party that is in power, that is responsible for making laws and enforcing those laws that, that don't believe in freedom of speech? They are hostile towards people of faith and spirituality. They don't believe in the Second Amendment, and they're actively trying to undermine these fundamental God-given rights and freedoms in the Constitution and Bill of Rights. And that is what is uh, not only so offensive, but frankly, so dangerous when we see the kind of weaponization of the federal government that this administration is doing specifically to target political opponents, to target those who dare to challenge them or oppose them, everyone from people like me uh, to parents who were showing up and protesting at Board of Education meetings because of the explicit pornographic books that their young grade school age children are being exposed to. Hmm. And that, that's so well said that, uh, that the Democrat Party now is against freedom. Um, but as you also said, Tulsi, uh, this isn't just a one party good, one party bad. There are a lot that's of things right. I think that you and I would both uh, disagree with on both sides. And it does seem like we are becoming so polarized as a nation that there is a division just along red and blue lines. And if there is any dissent at all uh, within the party, that if I'm carrying the banner for the Republican Party and I even question or challenge uh, you know, whether it's President Trump or it's Ron DeSantis or it's anybody else, then suddenly, you know, you're labeled, well, you're just a traitor or you're a rhino, you know, and some yeah. of these, and, and that's not party uh, leadership, but it it is people who see this as kind of an all or nothing. And so where do you think we need to be headed as a country? Can we have unity back to the, the era of uh, Martin Luther King that said, you know, we need to be judged on the content of our character. We need to come back to our founding and our roots of um, all People and all humans are made in the image of God, have inherent dignity and worth, and it's the sole purpose yes. of government to preserve and protect our rights for all. I mean, is that era gone or can we find some common ground moving forward? 
it can't be gone, Jenna, because we can't allow the heart and soul of this country to be lost because that is the foundation of this country. That is the very core, the moral structure that that our, our country was founded upon, that our that our founders envisioned for us. So it will only be lost and gone if we allow it to be. And and you mentioned, you know, that this um, this kind of uh, divisiveness and animosity towards those who uh, dare to challenge the leader of one party or another, um, that that's not necessarily indicative of the party leadership, but it does point to a failure of leadership where we have people in positions of leadership and positions of influence and power who instead of actually truly leading, leading by example and setting that tone of, of who we are as Americans and what we stand for and most importantly, what you said is so beautiful is respecting and recognizing each other as children of God. If, if we respect each other and recognize that that is who we really are, forget party labels and race and all this other stuff, that is our true identity. And if we fail to respect each other at that most beautiful spiritual level, then, then we're failing, period. Because if we recognize that truth, then that truth inspires the the beautiful connection that we have with each other and with God. And that is the way forward, Jenna. That is the way forward. In Hawaii, we call this aloha. You've heard me talk about this before. Uh, you know, you go to Hawaii or you hear someone from Hawaii, we say aloha all the time. And it doesn't mean hello or goodbye. Aloha really is, uh, aloha means love and respect, not at a superficial level, but based on that spiritual connection that we have, that we are all children of God. And so when we look at, okay, well, how do we heal these divides? How do we bring the country together? Not so that we can walk in lockstep, not so that we never disagree, but so that we can stand on this common ground of this spiritual identity, as well as this American identity that we have and have meaningful dialogue and discussion about how we can best solve the challenges we face, how we can best save uh, our country, because our country is, our freedoms are under attack right now, not from some external enemy or foreign country, but from powerful people within. Uh, it is incumbent upon every one of us, you and me, anyone who's watching this or listening to it, every single one of us to be that spark of change that this country desperately needs. And if we take that responsibility on ourselves, recognizing that our founder said, hey, you guys, we are a self-governed people. Being a self-governed people comes with a lot of responsibility. That means we don't get the luxury of just sitting back on our couch and eating junk food and complaining about all those people in Washington are screwing everything up. Yeah, they're screwing things up pretty bad, but what are we doing about it? And that's how we, that's how we ensure that our country doesn't fail and that we don't lose this country, not for us, but, but for generations to come. Uh, as in the military, we say this is a no fail mission. Failure is not an option. And you've been a prolific uh, voice and leader for this nation. And uh, and I completely agree that we all need to uh, take hold of responsibility for our nation and be engaged and good citizens for this country. And not only the inheritors of the blessings of liberty, but also that we will continue to promote that and we will be part of that chain of be custody. The defenders. 
gives yes. that yes to the next generation. So what's next for you in uh, your leadership role? Um, I know that there's you know no announcements here, but I personally would love to see you as the first woman president. Um, I think you are an amazing leader and could be a unifying voice. And, um, you know, I loved to see you run for president. I think that you are someone um, who could truly in a wide variety of, of roles, not just as the commander in chief, but um, in, a, in a wide variety of roles and options, um, be someone, especially as such a strong woman. Speaking of, you know, International Women's Day, we still know what a woman is. Yeah. And I think it's so incredibly <laughs> important um, that you as a very strong leader and a strong voice that isn't just party specific, um, that you continue to be uh, at the tip of the spear and continue to challenge uh, women like me to stand up and be as courageous as you have been. And thank you for that. I think you are such an inspiration um, to me and our generation of women who do truly want to make an impact and a difference as leaders of this country. So what's next for you? Thank you, Jenna. I'm, I'm really humbled by by uh, your your kind words, I know I know they're not shared lightly and they're not received lightly. Um, I love our country, and uh, I'm going to continue to do my best in whatever way that I can uh, to help lead this mission to save our country, to defend our freedom. This is something that I've committed my entire adult life to, both uh, in uniform as a soldier in the National Guard and now the reserves. Uh, as a member of Congress and as an American, just as, as an American citizen. Uh, I don't know exactly where that path will lead specifically, uh, but I have faith. I have faith in God and I have faith that uh, so long as I continue to do my best to be of service, um, that I will find that most impactful way forward. Yeah. And, you know, that that speaks exactly to uh, what I've always said is my life first, which is um, Isaiah 6, 8. Here I am, Lord, send me. And God has sent me into some wild and crazy places. I never even imagined <laughs> possible that I didn't get there on my own. Certainly, um, it was only through him opening those doors. And I think that that's the exciting part of this adventure of the American experience is that we can pursue God's best and his plans for us. And so I'll be praying for you. You. Um, I so appreciate your friendship, your mentorship. I do sincerely look up to you and I'm very excited for uh, what God has for you next. So thank you so much for joining me today. I've really appreciated thank the conversation. You, and I know me this too. is inspiring a lot of young women out there. So thank you, Tulsi. Thank you. See you soon. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. And welcome back. And of course, uh, many people around the world, especially in Ireland, are celebrating St. Patrick's Day today. So we thought, what better way to celebrate here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning in American Family Radio Network than talking about the true history of St. Patrick's Day and uh, why this is more than uh, just going out and, you know, drinking and doing all of the other uh, Irish stuff that probably isn't uh, really in anyone's best interest and certainly not promoting the truth of the gospel. Of Christ. So joining me now to discuss is our very good friend, uh, Frank Pavone. And um, Frank, thanks so much for coming on. And, you know, this is a really rich and interesting uh, history here. Well, Jenna, thanks for having me and happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. I guess it's a day when we can all be uh, Irish, at least for a day. <laughs> that's not our actual background. But, uh, you know, th th that's the interesting thing about this. I I I'm glad we're talking about it because there is no national 
uh, holiday. I mean, obviously, this is a special day for, for, for Ireland and the people of Ireland. But no such holiday is more widely observed around the world than this one uh, about St. Patrick. And, 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 you know, as a saint, uh, he's honored throughout the Christian world as well, not only in uh, the Catholic Church, but in many other denominations, too. So it really is uh, it really is a kind of a history and a celebration that has attracted for a long time the attention of the whole world. And there are many, you know, legends and stories that have grown up around St. Patrick and many traditions that have unfolded from it. But getting to, as you say, the, the true history, and you already mentioned what is the heart of all of this. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we get to the, to the, the man himself and what he did— he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, not not obviously an original apostle. He lived in the fifth uh, uh, century, and um, was born actually in in uh, in Roman Britain. Uh, but he was kidnapped and brought to Ireland as a slave when he was just a teenager. Uh, he ended up escaping, but then uh, back in his uh, back in his home uh, uh, area, he he became a priest. And he decided to go back to Ireland to evangelize and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who had not come to believe in it yet. That really right there is the core uh, reason for his greatness. That right there is the core of what Christians of all denominations, uh, Irish people and people of all other ethnicities should be celebrating here, that we have a man who committed himself fully to what we all need to be doing, uh, and that is not only following but proclaiming uh, the, the, the message of, uh, of Jesus. Yes, we should, and proclaim the message until he returns or calls us home. And, you know, the the way that the modern uh, kind of consumer-driven world diminishes and trivializes a lot of these uh, great apostles of Christ, um, you know, it reminds me of St. Nicholas and, you know, all of, uh, you know, what, what he did as an actual living person as well and how it's trivialized into, you know, Santa and the elves. And, you know, and certainly my, my opinion, right. and there's a lot of different opinions on how and when and where Christians should participate in various celebrations. And, you know, my family has always, um, you know, participated in Christmas as a holiday, but uh, and with some of the more consumer-driven, hallmark-driven kinds of things. And, you know, we, uh, of course, have a Christmas tree and we exchange gifts and we, you know, um, sing all of the Christmas carols and everything. But we uh, and that's all fine and well and good. Um, in in our view, but um, but we never forget that the ultimate purpose of the season of Christmas is to celebrate the literal uh, coming in physical human form, uh, the Savior. Jesus Christ. And that has right. to be the emphasis, of course, of Christmas and that holiday. And and here, similarly, with St. Patrick's Day, and I think of, you know, Easter is right around the corner, and how so much of the secular consumer-driven society wants to take the emphasis around the Christ-centered aspects of these holidays, which the root of the word holiday, of course, is holy day. And they're taking away the Christian emphasis, and then just building all kinds of other um, fun, and, and, and in some instances, even um, profane things like St. Patrick's Day with, you know, the celebrations uh, that include drunkenness, which of course is actually a sin. Um, and so how can we as as Christians, um, 
get back to celebrating the emphasis of what truly makes these holy days and celebrating the truth of the gospel of Christ and, you know, some of these people who are part of what um, Hebrews 11 calls, Hebrews, you know, 11 and 12, the great cloud of witnesses that have come before us. I mean, I think it's so important, um, Father Pavone, that we as Christians understand our rich inheritance and how uh, the Bible tells us to look back at all of the faithful that have come before us. Right. Well, part of it, I think it starts just with our day-to-day conversations. And this is where, you know, Jesus told us to be as wise as serpents and to use the things of this world better than uh, those who, who, who are children of this world. And, and so, in other words, the fact that all these observances have arisen, parades, and, you know, interestingly, the parades for St. Patrick's Day actually started in America, not in Ireland. And uh, But, you know, the parades happen, and, and, and people dress up, and they have parties and whatnot. Okay, so without throwing out the, 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 the fun kinds of celebrations, you know, without, the, without the sinful parts, um, we can use, starting with our conversations, the opportunity, um, as people are paying attention to these things, to say, hey, did you know St. Patrick, he was a preacher of the gospel? You know, he was, he, he, this is what motivated him to go back to Ireland. He was a proclaimer of the gospel. Or even using some of the stories that have come down, like the famous legend about how he would explain by using a shamrock, the, the, uh, the, the native Irish uh, clover, um, with the three leaves, to explain the Holy Trinity. And, you know, I think telling stories like that, these stories can be endearing and, and very you know, eye-opening to people, and it only takes a, you know, a minute to, to relate these things, and just use the, the attention that the day is getting to lead people back to these thoughts of the gospel. And it, oh, we don't have to enter into, you know, any kind of uh, 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 preaching to people or, 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 or lecturing them, but just sharing, you know, the history here that, 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 that led to these uh, celebrations and say, hey, let's get back to, to the meaning of this. The conversations, and then secondly, the celebrations that we have within our own families and churches. In other words, whatever else is going on, make sure that there is some kind of a celebration of prayer. So many churches, of course, will have special services to honor St. Patrick. Great. Uh, But even right within the family, I mean, this has to be the core. You know, are we taking a few minutes to pray, even if it's just a few minutes, let's honor St. Patrick's Day, or maybe maybe people are cooking a special dinner or having friends over, great, but stop and spend a few minutes in prayer and say something like, Lord, you know, you raised up St. Patrick to, to preach the gospel, may each of us preach the gospel in word and in deed uh, to our fellow citizens today. Uh, and, and just that can begin to transform this observance from the inside. Oh, that's such a wonderful encouragement, uh, Frank Pavone. And, you know, it, it does uh, put a good emphasis and reminder of how we can use uh, things every day that that people together are all participating in, because, of course, you can't go anywhere uh, without, you know, the observance of, of uh, various holidays in America, but even worldwide with, you know, the shamrocks and the, the rainbows and the pot of gold and all of these other things. And instead of um, either ignoring it, 
it or complaining about it or um, or participating in things wrongly, what Christians can do, and this includes, you know, the, the evangelicals, which most of our audience here are evangelicals. And so, you know, they, they tend to say, well, you know, we don't want to talk about St. Patrick because evangelicals, of course, don't um, have anything such as, you know, the saints in the same way that the Catholic Church does. But the term right, of the saints right. is actually biblical, right? And so if we're honoring right. someone for their influence on a whole nation, like what St. Patrick uh, actually did, and telling the truth about that history, um, I, you know, that's a very good thing. And I would encourage people, instead of trying to point out our differences, of course, we have to come back to, um, you know, theology and, and the correctness of sound doctrine. I'm certainly not diminishing that. But in terms of taking some of these everyday uh, ways to to influence um, our communities, whether it's, you know, your, your uh, child's school class, if your kids bring, you know, people over and they, you know, bring over St. Patrick's Day cookies. Well, you know, talk to them about exactly what um, Father Pavone was just talking about with the shamrock, you know, and saying, and, and take yeah. that as a moment to explain the Trinity or talk about, you know, how we can promote the gospel of Christ. And I think that, um, you know, in my own life as well, I've tried to purposefully, especially over the last few years, take every opportunity possible to ask people where they're at in their faith. Do they believe in God? You know, what... Uh, what's going on in their lives. I mean, even just, um, you know, anytime I'm on an airplane, my seatmate is kind of, you know, a captive audience for a couple hours, right? So, you know, I turn <laughs> to them and how's it going, you know, and, and inevitably you can use windows of opportunity in the conversation to direct it back to asking, well, you know, so what do you, what do you believe about God or where is your faith at? And, and right, I've, um, right. I've developed a lot of great friendships. In fact, I still keep in touch with a few people that I've met on flights um, over the last couple of years. And, well, and it's, I'm, I'm it's waiting really for the day when you and I are you and I are going to end up being seated together on a plane, and then that'll be a very interesting <laughs> conversation. Hundred <laughs> percent. Let's hope already... that it's to Ireland so that we have enough time, you know, to to talk so much uh, <laughs> because that's always really fun. Uh, yeah, but well, we, you, and know, you know, and... something. I'm Go sorry. ahead. Something about what you're saying here about the denominational differences. The thing to point out, of course, about about St. Patrick is. He was bringing the gospel to the pagans, so it wasn't even a question of, oh, you know, let me, Joe, let's let's talk about, you know, from one denomination to another. No, no, it can revive in us, and this is what I always think about on this special day: it, it, that desire to bring Christ to those who don't even know Him yet. And you know, there's been a weakening in some of the churches of the of the truth that the only Savior is Jesus Christ. We can't have this kind of religious indifferentism. Oh, you know, as long as you're a good person, you know, you're on the right track. No, no, no. We have to proclaim the one and only Savior, the one in whose name alone uh, the human race is to be saved. So uh, that's the, the zeal of, 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 of St. Patrick. That's the mm. fire that we have to reignite. And also connecting it to, you know, current uh, uh, problems. You know, we saw a few years ago a very sad thing happen in Ireland, where by referendum yeah. they embraced uh, abortion. And, and, you know, this was not the case for a very long time. And, and, you know, of course, this is my particular mission field in saving the unborn. And I think as we honor St. Patrick, it's a good idea to, you know, remind people that, hey, listen, there is no following of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, that, that would permit the killing of children. 
A hundred percent. And so well said. And, you know, and I actually wrote a piece, if anyone wants to uh, look at that a few years ago in the Daily Wire about how, um, you know, this whole this changed the whole landscape of, of Ireland. And we have to consider uh, whether or not direct democracy is really per se a really good form of government. But think about this as you are going along your day this weekend. How can you be the hands and feet of Christ and promote the truth of the gospel of Christ? Have a great weekend.